0: Hello, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of the Saturday Morning D&D Show, a, a long-needed episode that has not happened in the entire years of the Saturday Morning D&D Show. My name is Jordan, with a silent PH in the middle, and I'm joined always by my wonderful co-host, Sir Lucian, over to at our Sir guests. Lucian to our Gaming, <laughs> but the man of the hour, the lore master himself, uh, who I, I would argue, I, you know more than... Any of the other d d lore <laughs> YouTubers, I think. Like, you're, No, yeah, I, maybe all we all feel it's that all way. a sham. Maybe we all feel that <laughs> way. But lie. AJ Pickett from The Mighty Glue Stick uh, has joined us today, and we're going to talk about, uh, I, I guess, a whole bunch of things. We're going to just talk about lore and and d just general uh, awesome stuff, but we're very excited to have you. Thanks for coming on.
1: I have a feeling it's going to get very general and vague, and then it's going to get very specific about lore very quickly. Yeah, yeah. Let's
0: pick one <laughs> thing like, that nobody uh... knows. <laughs> Don't want well, I always uh, cracks. Well, I'm gonna tell this. This is a dumb story, but um, my friends are always trying to trump me on like lore and stuff, and they're doing it now to the point of. Uh, there was an episode of the Colbert Report or something with, uh, so Stephen Colbert's show, I forget whatever he's doing, and Ryan Reynolds Ryan's. was on it and was like, I hear you're a big Tolkien fan, so my mom has like a trivia question for you. like." And he does this whole like in The Hobbit on da-da-da-da-da, this all happens, and Stephen Colbert's like, yeah, yeah? And he's like, what page is that on? And like that was, you know, <laughs> like, oh my gosh, you gotta stump them. So they're doing that now. Like, what what page is that, Jordan? What book? I'm like, I have no idea. I read it on Wikipedia. Don't play that
1: game with Mr. X, he will, he will beat you.
0: Oh yeah. I bet. <laughs> yeah. Too funny. Well,
1: he, uh He rolled out last time we had a collab that was for oh, the man. like community event that we ran mm-hmm. ourselves um last year. Mr. X pulled out some lore that just I I did not know.
0: No, yeah. Which you can tell I I after after that experience, uh we had a d and DD lore round table where we were just talking about having lore channels. Um and Mr. X was just he was so casual but like uh his presentation he gets so excited about it and he was talking to us about Drake's or something and they were like injecting yeah. poison into each other's That's mouths it. and and we yeah. were like where uh, all if you watch the video which maybe I should find it and link it like we're all just like where did this come from <laughs> like this is hilarious yeah. but yeah yeah it's good times It's like oh, okay okay
1: <laughs> calm down Philip.
0: <fella>. Yeah <laughs> Um well Mr. AJ, uh, what what got you into d d You're obviously a big fan. I can see a bunch of stuff on your shelves behind you, but uh, how long have uh, you been playing? What, what got you into it? Story. Origin, the origin
1: story. Origin story. My, my D&D testimony. Um, so <laughs> uh, it all boils down to Stephen Jackson's um, Choose Your Own Adventure books. Oh, yeah. Wizard Under Firetop Mountain and Death Jungle and various other punchy titles um and uh that led me to the world of titan and um the expanded lore of that book and then it was like lone wolf and um various other and i sort of consumed anything and then i saw this red box on a supermarket shelf i was with my grandmother it was eleven dollars uh new zealand money which was expensive back then Mm -hmm. Uh, and she was a bit skeptical about it but i begged her to buy that for me and that was it Once I cracked open those those pages of basic, and you could play a little mini uh, campaign by Mm -hmm. yourself.
2: The dice Dang made mad. of candle wax, almost. Yeah. Huge- <laughs> yeah, we literally
1: did put the the numbers in on the dice yeah. with a bit of crayon that was yeah, included.
2: Yeah, yeah. yeah. the yeah. lowest yeah. amount of money made for any box set ever, but has probably yeah. had the most impact on anybody anywhere. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And to
1: this day, those map symbols are the map symbols that I use when I'm ever yeah. drawing, mm-hmm. you know, dungeons and things like that. That's yeah, awesome. So the red box, I'm a red box set baby. Um, that's 1980s.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, with the, uh, I think it's a mold of a cover. I'm not entirely sure. Oh, no, that so was- So
2: you got to read it, but did you, how'd you get to play it? Did you have to find a way that you could run it for somebody else or did you find somebody else that could run it for you?
1: That's that's always the more interesting part of the story, isn't it? Yeah. Um, so this, uh, I basically just hung out and read those and did my own little thing. Um, mm-hmm. And then I went to school one day and this new guy in school uh, who seemed kind of english exotic (laughs) Uh, he had a expert set Uh, I think it was just like one book of the expert set uh, that he was getting rid of and I was like well I've got the basic set so it makes sense that I would have you know I would collect these and then I was like well are you into it because we could play it and he's like okay so uh yeah and then things are a blur and then uh next thing you know we're in a sweaty room with you know four or five teenage guys playing you know listening to Living Color and Melissa Etheridge and mm-hmm. just reading uh, the classic uh, Joker versus Batman graphic novels and it's all, nice. yeah, the ni- the early 90s. Oh, yeah. yeah. yeah.
0: It sounds great, <laughs> though.
1: <laughs> um, so that was us. And the interesting thing is we had lots of girls who I'm sure would play D&D now, but they just had no interest in it back then whatsoever. And I don't know if it even ever occurred to us to ask. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I really wish we had. Uh, that would have been that would have been interesting. Mind you, it also would have been mayhem.
2: Yeah. Well, yeah, those first games, if you try to even mine were a blur, but even thinking back as an eight to ten year old, it was just madness and, and nonsense of what we were doing, you know. Yeah. I don't even think we were playing the rules right, but we were having fun, you know, we were having a blast, rolling dice figuring out how to do character stuff, and it was just
1: Oh, for sure. I've got a very (laughs) memorable incident where the DM didn't really understand the summoning rules of, Mm -hmm. uh, or the gating rules of Mm -hmm. demons. And so we ended up fighting an endless string of (laughs) demons that just kept gating in more and more of them. And yeah, that was hairy. (laughs) That's
2: awesome.
0: I always thought that was funny that demons can summon more of themselves. Like, Mm. uh, there was some Forgotten Realms book I was reading uh, well, I think it was War of the Spider Queen, where they summoned a few demons that were running around the city of spiders, and then those demons were like, "Oh, I can do this too," and they're like summoning more demons. You're like, "Is there an end to this? Like, the <laughs> abyss is infinite, isn't it? Like, what's going on?"
1: It's like, oh, hordes of the abyss, right? Oh, right. Yeah, that's that yeah. makes sense now. That's uh, that's why you don't deal with demons because they make more demons. Mm.
0: So you're uh, you're you're playing basic and you're hanging out and things like that. Uh, why? Why? And if, for those of you who don't know, AJ has a uh, Forgotten well, not a Forgotten Realms, just a D and D lore channel. But you have done a lot of Forgotten Realms content, just because there's a lot of Forgotten Realms out there. Um, yeah. But uh, have you done Greyhawk stuff? Have you always been into the Forgotten Realms, or is it just all like like what? What's your speciality? I guess like what do you? <laughs>
1: Well, let's see. We we played a lot of different um, role playing games. Uh, oh, all okay. of us had separate, different sort of um, our babies that we brought along to the D and D group. So D and D was always the staple, and so every of every two games that we played, one of them would be an AD and D game. So mm-hmm. we 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 played Second Edition D and D pretty quickly. Um, and for me, Palladium was the game that I sort of brought. Um, with Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and Ninjas and Super Spies, and Beyond the Supernatural was really good, so that was like our tippy-toe into Cthulhu-esque horror mysteries, but there was also superheroes, plus there was super gadgets and cybernetics and things like that, so we played Rifts before there was Rifts, and then Rifts came along, and we sort of gravitated towards playing that, but Superheroes was always a focus of that as well. So we, um, and then Phase World came along and that was our baby, Phase World was was mm-hmm. awesome. Um, even up till we were playing Zoom, like back in the early days of Google Hangouts that we used to play big games of, um, of Heroes Unlimited with uh, this Larcosian Galaxy campaign setting that I had. So it was homebrew, but it was a sort of Phase World type game. So we do a lot of homebrew is what I'm saying. <laughs> um, and uh, so Forgotten Realms didn't really pop up until I started researching the lore for YouTube, essentially. Mm-hmm. And that came about by me crafting monsters on my channel because I started out as a crafting channel. That's why the, the channel's called The Mighty Glue Stick. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, so I, I crack out artwork every now and then and show people that I can draw and sculpt and stuff. They're like... <sighs> These days, oh, oh, we had no idea. Yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> that's what I started doing. Um, the other day I did a video where uh, I, there was just no artwork of these wingless wonders around, so I had to draw one while I was talking about it on the on the chat. And that's actually a, a throwback to I was sculpting a roper and talking about the roper, and that's when I got into reading about the Forgotten Realms and like, wow, there is so much material here. I could make videos about this
0: forever. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's that's awesome. So, I. Uh, it kind of started with like monsters, I guess. Um, I feel bad that I don't know this, but how old is your channel? Like, when did you start? Um, it's not that much older than yours. Yeah. Four years or so. Um, yeah. Yeah. Cause I, Uh, I specifically went looking for Forgotten Realms content and I was like, I don't find a lot. So I was like, I I should make this. If I want to find it, then I should find it and, or I should make it, you know, so that if you're other people are probably looking for the same thing you are, Jordan kind of a thing. And then, uh, I want to say it was like a couple months later, there were, there was you and there was, uh, history. And, and I think one more, and I'm like, where did the, where were you my whole life? I was like, where did these guys come from?
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. We're just like a new breed of candlekeep sage that that have, uh, that have sort of appeared on the and it was uh, interesting. We
0: all kind of had the same idea at the same time in a way, but it was fun. Uh, yeah, and we've always been definitely. really like friendly about it too. Like I think AJ, yeah, and I, t- like we're I, there's a couple times. Yeah, we're always like, oh, we're like like uh, cousin channels or something and hang out, right? And, yeah, yeah. It's like the
1: occasional fan will look like look for beef, and there's just yeah. there was <laughs> be found. There's none.
0: It actually
2: kind of marks when almost historically when D anD D starts to come back. Like it's, people are still playing it and they're still having fun, but it was about four years ago where it starts to skyrocket again mm, in popularity. Yeah. And that probably is what's bringing everybody searching, not finding exactly what they're looking for and then going, you know what, I could maybe I'll just do this, you know, or I'll put it out there and then somebody will have it. And then all of a sudden in these last four years, the the resurrection of role-playing games in general and the enthusiasm behind it has been extraordinary. You wouldn't have seen it 10 years ago. It was out there, but it wasn't. Wasn't the popularity it's at right now. It's like it's mainstream. Everybody talks about it. You can find it anywhere these days. There's channels galore, there's live plays and lore videos and crafting videos, like you're talking. There's so many terrain building videos out there now that it's crazy. You know, it's just awesome for for the hobby to be so full and with so many of you creators that are out there. It's awesome.
1: Oh, yeah. (laughs) The the crafting channels are amazing um, and have really shown. How this has taken off on YouTube as well, and and like even three or four years ago, you would not have dreamed that somebody running a YouTube channel could do it as a full time job. Yeah,
2: paying um, some minis, and that's what they yeah. you know that they're going to make it on that. Nowadays, it
1: it's possible. never occurred to me that you could do this. You know. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, uh, even Black magic with fifty
1: thousand. He oh, always yeah. cracks me
0: up, or I mean, not cracks me up, but like he's, he just does really great videos. And, uh, the, I don't even terrain. I don't e- I barely paint minis. Um, mm-hmm. but I love watching his stuff. Cause he's always like, oh yeah, like I think we could do this. And what if I saw this arm off and, do-, and you're like, what? And so it's really cool yeah. stuff.
1: It's like, oh, I could do that with some phone call. Where can I get phone call? How expensive is it in New Zealand? <coughs> oh um.
0: <no. laughs>
1: Okay, not not that material. Something else.
0: Yeah. Um, so the innovation
1: in that hobby is great too. Everybody's yeah. coming up with new things all the time.
0: Yeah, it's awesome. Um, what other? What? Well, this is a big question, but like, what is your favorite campaign setting for D and D? Then, because you cover so much and you cover a bunch of monster lore, and monsters can be different in different campaign settings. So, like, is there? I don't know. Do you have a? Do you have a? If I could run a game right now, kind of a thing, I want to run it in this setting.
1: Well, <laughs> that's true because I would run anything that you chose to run. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm very flexible when it comes to, I'll give it a go, you know, I'll throw my hat in. Um, having played a, a wide Variety of different um, RPG systems. I'm pretty easy on systems and stuff as well. There's some I prefer and some I don't. Like I don't really like dice pool games. Um, mm-hmm. I like I like my initiative roles, You know things like that. Yeah, you
2: yeah, had Shadowrun.
1: <laughs> oh yeah, I haven't actually played Shadowrun. Believe it or not, <laughs> um, but Call of Cthulhu has got that sort of you yeah, know that. Pool. I'm, I'm very curious by nature and I like the idea of playing a sage who's delving into things a little bit too deeply and it's all going to end in madness but you can't help but go down that path anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, and the idea of fighting a monster and having no idea what it is and your bullets don't work and you run away screaming is also fantastic. That's something I really like about um, Call of Cthulhu. Um, but Forgotten Realms is my favorite one because it's just soaked into my bones now, and I know it very well. And there's all these places that I want to go and explore um, as a dungeon master and make them my own in the Forgotten Realms. And uh, that the idea of that, I love the setting, and it's gonna it's gonna flow through in the games that I play. And if I put on a really good hellroarer for somebody, it, that will be hellroarer in their mind from from then on. I like that
0: idea. That's, do you ever go yeah. back in time in the Forgotten Realms or uh, like something that is this event happened, but I really like how like Eltagard was displayed at this point in time. So my Eltagard for my Forgotten Realms game is going to be here. Like, do you switch it up or do you try to keep it a current timeline or?
1: It's funny how somebody asks you a question and something just cements in your mind suddenly. Uh, my friend Ian runs a lot of time-jumping, prophecy-driven games. Oh, and that's he does it, cool. Yeah, he does it really well, so I just don't do it, you know? because That's, know, that's does, his shtick, yeah. Stick. yeah. <laughs> um, mine are more about uh, going on the adventuring journey and not knowing where it's going to end up, mm. so there's a lot of just sandboxing um, and okay. just following leads, so I'm very much in favor of anybody that the players talk to are going to have some sort of an adventure lead. It might just mm. be my kit has grown a tentacle what's going on with that hmm. or it could be the town well has dried up and we're all going out of business um, somebody needs something needs to be done and you're it you know
0: i wish that wizards of the coast would make uh the forgotten realms a sandbox game um rather than having I mean, the adventure modules are fun that they're creating for 5th edition, but uh, before the show started, we were just talking about Storm King's Thunder, and that's one of my favorites as well because there's a whole section that you just are like, if I go north, what do I find? It's like, you find this. And a creative DM can be like, you find this, and then the players latch on to one thing about it, and then you turn that into a campaign. And one of my favorite things about the realms is that you could do that everywhere. Like, Every hex could have eight different plot hooks to like pull you into something, and then you're you're. And if you like to just explore, like I do, and it sounds like you do as well, then yeah, it's just yeah. fun to go around. But we haven't seen that yet, really. And I don't know, have we yeah. ever seen that? Like, well,
1: the 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 potential of the Forgotten Realms is something like this. If like if you and I were running, was the coast right now, Jordan? Let's, okay. let's have a please. I vote we, for this. If, if we were. Um, Imagine a Wikipedia that you could go to where every single hex is a wiki in and of itself. And people have done surveys, they've gone through all the law and stuff, and they found out what the official stuff is. That's sort of marked in red. There is a dragon over on this hill here. Mm -hmm. This is how far on the map their regional um, effects goes out to. This is what happens when regional effects overlap in this particular area. You know, you can throw these elements templates into your game and it's just driven by community interest and grows and grows and grows and grows. So wherever you go on that that wiki map is like you're going down the rabbit hole of everybody's special interest in that particular place and that passion and, and research flows through it. When you're trying to present something like the Forgotten Realms to the public. You've got this double-edged sword of, it's got incredible richness of lore, 40 years of literary history. Mm-hmm. Nothing else even comes close to that. So it's, it's this incredible resource. But how do you introduce that to new players and not make them feel overwhelmed by the stuff that they feel compelled they must, they must know?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So everybody these days, when you ask them a question, goes, okay, Google. Um, what is the longest river in Africa I don't know and I think we have got the tools now where we can do that for the Forgotten Realms like you don't have to know stuff other people know it for you and Mm -hmm. here's a resource that provides that information for you in a way that you can use right now Mm -hmm. so you shouldn't have to prepare everything for your campaign you should be able to just sort of hex crawl your way across the Forgotten Realms and it's just all there for you yeah no, Wiki that would be really ideal right. and fun.
0: And the amount of inspiration, I feel like a good Dungeon Master would get from that. Because yeah. uh, you also were talking about like making the realms your own. And I think that's another huge important thing is <clears throat> some people do get caught up in, I don't know, are they da-da-da-da-da? Uh, like, I have to go check this book again to see if uh, they are right-handed. And, and part of it is like, no, in, in your game, they're left-handed. Or, I don't know, yeah. in your game... All elves he's, are he's purple. Got a gun I don't for know. A gun. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it's just kind of that's absolutely. fun.
1: Yeah, it's like take it from me and Jordan. People who research the law, you think we would have a, an invested interest in the law being, you know, followed Accurate, by everybody. Or yeah. Yeah. No. No. It's as <laughs> yeah. soon as it hits your game, your table, it's your own. The realms is your own, and nobody is going to tell you how to run it it's it's your baby you can run it it does make
2: sense too that the the lore guys pick the biggest most in-depth campaign that we can find information about as they're one that they love to sink their teeth into and and find out all those little things like you're not going to pick the one that had one book back in you know 94 and only had one book on the campaign and that's it Lore people want i want in-depth i want dragon articles i want magazines i want outside creators, third party creators contributing. I want book series. I want mm. everything I can get my hands on to tell me about this cool forgotten Rome place.
1: <laughs> however much I think I know about a monster or however deep I've gone and, and referenced, there's always somebody in the comment section who mentioned something that I have missed. <laughs> Always, always. Yeah, and I, yeah I, I that is the,
0: the curse of, of D&D lore channels, I think. Uh, <laughs> because mm-hmm. there is, there's so much information. And then people will say, well, I think you're wrong no, about this. Sure. And I'm like, you're <laughs> probably right. And so. The displacer yeah.
2: Beast has six eyes, yeah. but you continue. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <Or> whatever.
0: <laughs> My favorite I is, mean, uh, if- I haven't finished the video yet, but. And I'm like, just finish <laughs> yeah. the video. Like, you, know, I might have corrected myself. I don't know. So it's too funny. <laughs>
1: Yeah. Um, oh, I yeah. always thank people who correct me on on law stuff because I, I, I'm i here to learn. That's, that's yeah, my yeah. passion for making videos is, is learning this stuff. So I'm not going to be offended if somebody points out something I don't know. That's
2: why I'm here. Yeah, yeah. So, just list your references, people, so that we can learn and go back and learn just like you did. Where did you see that? Because I want to go back and yeah, read it too. Because we can find it.
1: We can <laughs> yeah. find it.
2: Yeah. That's funny.
1: <laughs> if I research for a living, I can find it. <laughs>
0: Um, we were talking about other RPGs too before we started, like Numenera and stuff. Uh, what are some of your other favorite RPGs, and are they lore-centric or are they just kind of? Are there certain mechanics that you like in RPGs?
1: Um, I like Star Wars oh,
0: as okay. a setting,
1: as a game to um, to sandbox in, and I love the lore of all the different alien species, mm. and um, I like the the real gritty feel of the technology of Star Wars, and also the fact that they don't really go into huge depth. On exactly how the technology works. They just say, it's a blaster. Yeah. It's it's a hyperdrive, you know. Um, and space other than monster. that, you're you're a space cowboy um yeah. who is contending with space wizards mm-hmm. every now and then. So <laughs> yeah.
0: Um and let's see. It's funny, um, uh, my dungeon master Ethan loves Star Wars and I always feel like he to Star Wars is me to, like, the Forgotten Realms and stuff, because I have all of this knowledge that I've studied, and he's just like, well, the kyber crystals of this planet, and like, (laughs) and so... He was going to run a D, or he did run a Star Wars game, and I was so excited, but I couldn't join because of conflict issues, Uh, Uh, but it was one of those things where I'm like, I I just love playing in a game where the dungeon master is super passionate about it. Like, I could play in, I don't know, we're all janitors working at a school, and that's the RPG, but like, if the guy is super excited about running this game, then I'm like, I'm in. Like, that's awesome, so... Uh, But no, Star Wars is great. That's fun.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Um, And of course, Warhammer 40k is another passion of mine. Um, One of the things on my channel is every now and then when somebody replies first on the comments, I'll reply with a Warhammer 40k 40K quote.
2: Nice. And there's so many good ones. A weird
1: little thing to do. Uh, (laughs) um, But yeah, I've I've played Rogue Trader and um, Inquisition and uh, I want to play the uh, the one where you're playing Imperial Guard troops, but I've also got the uh, Death Watch uh, on the shelf here behind me. Uh, yeah. There's also so many different alternate settings from third-party publishers for um, Dungeons & Dragons as well that are they are almost like, well, what do you play? It's like, well, I play Midgard, you know, mm-hmm. or
2: yeah.
1: Dragon Age. Um, so here's the Death Watch book
0: i love I the art it's so it. fun see that <laughs> well. does it look dark deadly and moody yeah <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. what are some of your favorite third-party publishers for D D? then uh i guess Hobo. even mechanics or setting wise or one. <laughs> yeah yeah have you covered have midgard seven. have you covered midgard in your on your channel at all or anything I haven't either that is another can of worms that I've wanted to but like it's so big and cool but yeah
1: (laughs) yeah you've got like for instance the old margrave uh tales of the old margrave is a you're in a forest the forest is an entity uh you gain renown with the forest very slowly and it's it's quite difficult so you're kind of like you start off on the forest's like naughty list and then <laughs> the things you do to to be heroic and campaign and stuff for the forest gives you these extra additional unlocking regional powers and i love that that's so the idea that 5th edition was going for i think it's like what if the heroes get so powerful that they start to have regional effects they start to have layer effects they mm. become boss monsters
2: Who's made a
1: resource for that? Matt Colville with his heroes and strongholds, like his strongholds and stuff, Uh, strongholds and followers. That's that ties into that whole idea, and that's the idea that in Dungeons and Dragons back in the day, you would start out with your bunch of fourteen expendable heroes, and then eventually one or two of those would survive, and they would go on to becoming a person who starts attracting other adventurers as retainers, and then that hero would retire and become a lord and build a castle and things like that so half of your campaign was your second generation of characters is off doing their adventures and you're also dealing with your campaign and the politics of that region so it got it got really involved and and you got to explore every aspect of that that campaign world not just adventuring around and spending money but also being somebody who has to provide for the civilization and expand the borders and hire adventurers and to do all that sort of stuff. And I'd like to see more of that in Dungeons and & Dragons. And I think we're getting more of that from third-party publishers right now yeah. than we are from D&D proper. But yeah. MCDM. the coast has just turned a, uh, turned a new signpost where uh, or marker post where they're now um, have been in charge of Dungeons & Dragons longer than TSR was. Mm-hmm. So that's interesting.
0: Yeah, mm-hmm. things mm-hmm. could yeah, things could change. Things have changed, so that's interesting. Yeah. And, um, and they still
2: embrace the OGL enough that they mm-hmm. haven't tried to go back and rip it back out of people's hands. They haven't tried to tear away the community involvement. Although they probably could do more. Anybody mm-hmm. could argue that it could be even better, but at least it's there. They're not like the type that used to be, it's R.I.P. IP, you're not allowed to touch it, we'll sue the hell out of you if you do anything with it, type of content creator, whereas there's an opening for you to do something. So I think yeah. that's what makes the third-party uh, publishers thrive is because there's a company that's willing to tolerate them. If You can at least argue they tolerate them, if not support them in some ways. And I think the new generation of uh, Wizards of the Coast is more supportive of the outside community than, say, maybe... 10 years ago, 15 years ago, 20
1: years yeah. ago. The uh, the DM's Guild, uh, one bookshelf, that is something that, a resource that we never had back in the day. So these mm-hmm. days, getting yourself self-published is so much easier um, these days than it, than it was. It's still a monumentous task to put out a book, um, one that's, that does well on uh, one bookshelf. But yeah, the idea that you can from scratch in your living room sort of thing um, mm-hmm. is quite amazing these days. And um, just the modern d d community, and it is more of a community now um, of integrated communicating people who follow the same sort of news sources than it ever has been. Um, and thanks to Twitter and um, to Facebook and things like that, we've we've got all these avenues to talk with each other that we didn't have before. Back in the 80s, it was just like message boards, if that. And yeah. um, we, we were in a sort of a dark era coming out of 3.5 edition. Fourth edition shook things up. Um, and, and spawned Pathfinder and that sort of schism in the community. But it made us aware that there was a DD and d community and there was um, fundamental ideas about what role-playing games should be, and it divides and defines us. And then 5th edition comes along and it's more of a community-driven thing and it's invited everybody in to, to share with the resources that we all have. So the idea now is... Dungeons and Dragons is a community made up of a patchwork of people who have very focused ideas of what a Dungeons and Dragons game should be. And I think fifth edition and as we head into a possible sixth edition, which may actually just be a development of fifth edition and not a, a new like new books, new core thing, but an alteration of the game where we start getting a rules cyclopedia and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um which is, which brings all the new stuff from Unearthed Arcana into these scattered rules magazines that we have at the moment. Um, and I, I see it evolving into um, a very community focused thing which treats the different spheres that we play the game as different entities. So we've got Zoom games, we've got conference uh, convention games, we've got community outreach games where we play for people with special needs and things like that which is something that my friend Ian is doing he's got an outreach program where they take kids with autism and play D&D with them all day they love it Um, and different avenues like that which require a different look at the game like a game that you're playing with your middle-aged friends around a table is quite different from a game that you're playing at an open convention where kids are wandering past, you know, so Dungeons and Dragons is very different for different people. So our community is this patchwork, as I said.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. And it's a huge community, really. It's, it's a
2: gigantic <laughs> community at these times, which I, which I think is great. Yeah, there's a, I did a Kickstarter for, I think it's called Critical Core, and it's looking at a way to create accessibility role-playing games and using it so that it's You know, colorblind, it works out. Those that are um, visually or hearing impaired, it has materials for them. And it has this idea of creating things that are much easier for those that might be on the spectrum also to be able to play because it can be used as a tool. And there's a lot of people that are starting to use it more as a tool. I have our niece is um, she majored in psychology and kid psychology. And she talks about how one of the things they've even mentioned now, it's no longer anathema to mention it is that they can use a Dungeons and Dragons game to reach out to people who you might not have been able to touch or reach before. And it's right. amazing to see that that – because before 80s, we're talking about people were raising pitchforks because we're worshiping demons, and you yeah. know it's, it's ruining the youth of our culture, and we can't have this thing. It needs to be I shut down right now. <laughs> I was there, Gandalf. I was there. Yeah. 10, so it's amazing what's a turnaround what yep. that
1: yeah Yeah we had that same similar thing in new zealand as well we we went through our satanic
2: panic um,
1: mm-hmm. not to the same extent in the hysteria um, but yeah we we witnessed all of the the media that was coming from you know the states and
2: do uh, you feel it, like being in new zealand did you feel you were behind the curve of where the dungeons and dragons community and ebb and flow was or was it actually still getting to new zealand being a, a smaller area maybe getting less commercial product from certain places um how did you feel into that were, were you always just scrabbling just to get anything or was yeah. it actually still pushed out into the stores enough that it was wasn't too bad
1: yeah back in the day uh we had a limited supplier um so, so the actual supplier products was was very limited um and it was really much the, the shops would do an order run and they had to get a lot of different products straight away so you had a chunk of stuff from this time period and you had a chunk of stuff from this time period and everything in between is just gone never reached the shores these days and of course that influenced the way that we played so like i mentioned each of us had our pet game that we played because we could afford to buy one rule book and for me it was like uh, heroes unlimited is (laughs) is mine and you're playing Mm -hmm. robotech well that's sort of the same thing and this is Mm -hmm. BattleTech. it's like that no it's terrible Uh, (laughs) and uh, so we played a lot of traveler um and um and Traveler was is one of the, the games that we played almost as much as we played Dun, uh, Dungeons and Dragons back in the day mm-hmm. um, because we homebrewed so much of it. Um, I don't think we ever played a legit. Oh, yeah, we did. We we tried to investigate a, uh, a drawing ruin. Long story.
2: Anyway. Or, or even the influence of the American product versus the European product because a lot of people don't know that there's a strong... European TTRPG thing going in the 80s and 90s that Mm -hmm. is really separate from Dungeons and Dragons. They have their own kind of big games that are big in, you know, Sweden and Norway and and Germany and all these places that weren't necessarily D&D. So was was New Zealand more influenced by the American products coming in or were they more influenced by the European products that would come in?
1: Very much influenced by American products. Yeah. Ah, okay. uh, it's funny you should mention that. <laughs> yeah, because we could have gone like Brazil. Brazil is um, yeah. Vampire the Masquerade is the, the main That's game that the they thing. play over there. Yeah. Um, I think over in Japan they play uh, a different RPG to, to Dungeons mm-hmm. and Dragons. Um, so it's quite interesting that you would walk into a different gaming culture where Dungeons and Dragons is not the lingua franco that everybody speaks it's magic the gathering or something else
2: yeah like Rollmaster master was european was big for them there was mm. some of the other games i was trying to remember free league is now bringing a lot of those things that more european style of game and we're seeing more of it here now although we're swamped in our own you know all the mm. different games that are going on but it was interesting well even with now and this will help segue i think a little bit is kickstarter has allowed Oh, yeah. The people to create new systems, new campaigns to explode even beyond what you could do with Dragon Magazine or Dungeon Magazine or even like you're saying DMs Guild is starting to push. But it was nothing like the effect of Kickstarters coming out and creators saying, here's my new system. Here's my new game for this system. Here's these things. And people can crowdfund it. And I mean, I know. We're we're moving into that, I and mean, you've had a little experience here now with you with doing a Kickstarter and trying to yeah. d- dump into that. So talk a little. I'm, bit about I'm having I'm having the experience of Kickstarter. <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah. <laughs> um, so I just happen to have some products sitting next to me here. All right. Mm-hmm. That's <laughs> that interesting. So uh, here's here's this massive big bag here, big enough for your big laptop pockets. and all your all your D and D books. Yeah. <laughs> Big Pockets, the, the name for Big Pockets came from uh, Ant-Man and Giant-Man from Marvel oh, Comics. Yeah. In the later part of his career, joined me for, a, for a, a trip down to comic obscurity. I was a Avengers fan of the comics and uh, the West Coast Avengers and East Coast moon Avengers. Moon Knight, Moon Knight. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, And eventually Hank Pym got so saturated with Pym particles that he could no longer safely become Giant Man or Ant-Man because it would kill him. But he was saturated with these particles that allowed him to touch something and shrink or enlarge it. And so he wore this jumpsuit with all these pockets on it full of like ambulances and rocket propelled machine (laughs) guns. (laughs) I did not know
0: this. This is hilarious.
1: And became this character called big pockets and hence (laughs) so the idea that you you reach into your pocket and and pull out this silicon uh game mat that like literally hang on (laughs)
2: let
1: me let me demonstrate for you here in my hand i have hey (laughs) so uh this is a generic character sheet um And whenever you're playing a game online and stuff and you want to jot down some notes and not necessarily have to go into your smartphone or whatever, miss the action because you're going through all your tabs and roll 20 and how do I change my spell list and things like that. This is a really easy to use, um, perfect uh, wet dry erase surface for just jotting down character notes and things like that during the game. And it's good for, it's well set up for fifth edition it's it's blank for a reason so you could this could be your equipment list it could be a character illustration this could be some stats that are changing temporarily because of spell effects and things like that mm-hmm. this could be your favorite attacks this could be your your whatever um and so when you're playing your game and the dm is suddenly reading off what loot and stuff you've got you just grab your eraser, wet dry eraser, note it down so that's what that's for
2: that's like space age material you got there like that i know scrunch up that didn't
1: yeah so not not only is this 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 fantastic material non-toxic and environmentally friendly and doesn't cause like any sort of carbon problems when it's being manufactured because it's just this chemical process um it lasts forever this is basically the same material that you use for cooking so you can bake cookies on this um, oh. and I have actually tested out these products and made a
0: pizza. Yeah, I saw on that it, on the Kickstarter. That's hilarious. <laughs> like Yeah. But it also uh, it expect- sticks to tables, right? Like not yeah. in a glue sense, not in like a mighty no, glue it's, sense, it's, but like it's not uh, like
1: it's not like Teflon gonna go flying across your table. Yeah. Um it, it really makes a really good surface and you can roll your metal dice and stuff on this and yeah. it protects your wooden tables and things. So that's that. Then we've got this uh, this is a combat tracker. So again, let's say you're playing a theater of the mind game on a Zoom call, and uh, you need to point out to your DM that um, you're going to be moving from X square to X square. We've got a little grid down the bottom there where you can basically illustrate exactly what's going on. It could also be a hit locations table for your character or your mech or whatever you're playing with. We've got a round-by-round uh, marker or your initiative order so this could be on round three of the combat the trolls show up mm-hmm. this is when the dam breaks and the room starts filling with water et cetera, et cetera. this is when this person's spell effect ends and of course your initiative order as well and up the top just some squares that you can use for tracking um ammo or spell slots mm-hmm. and things like that again just really simple next to you at the table you can pull it out all the time saves so much scrap paper you have no idea next the prize that everybody i think is is interested in is the table mat
0: this is so cool (laughs) i was like i i don't know why and i shouldn't say this because i'm sure somebody's thought of it but i don't know why anybody has never thought of this before (laughs) this feels so
1: good it's like my safety blanket. um so
0: so these, uh, this is
1: this, it looks much bigger than it. It's a uh, A1 size. So if you've got a okay. standard A1 international paper size, that's exactly how big this is. So you can, you can compare this on your own table, on your devices, whatever. So these fantastic sheets are damn near indestructible. They're thicker than any other silicon uh, gaming mats that you can get on the market. Um, we've tested them out uh, with permanent markers. Um, so... <laughs> I've I've got a little video on my Kickstarter page where it shows me marking on the the thing with some Crayola markers. And Mm -hmm. then I get some permanent markers and I used a a Bic Intensity and Bic Stevens Vivid. Mm -hmm. I thought those are the most internationally available. Um, And just showed that you can use those like wet erased markers. Just wipe them off with a... um, So you don't need rubbing
0: alcohol to get them off afterwards or anything? really no nope. just cuz the yeah. material
1: it's That's crazy awesome. space age material yeah. um i did try it out with red the permanent markers and they do do leave a little mark mm-hmm. um, red's red hard some. on any mat
0: though i think like i just i threw yeah. away all my red markers like, we're not yeah. going to use these
1: so you don't want to go you don't want to go too crazy but if you do make a mistake and use a permanent marker it will work just like a dry erase pen it's mm-hmm. quite amazing um and yeah flame proof uh, I haven't made a rudimentary slingshot, but I'm I'm <laughs> you tempted. Could. Yeah, 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 yeah.
2: You can make a garret out of it <laughs> improvised <Yeah>. weapons. <laughs>
1: uh, a, a makeshift hammock. I don't know. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, we got a we got a uh, one inch grid for hex crawls on one side and a one inch square on the other side. That's really um, cool. Yeah. What
0: made and you think live, of this? Right? So
1: um I saw a similar sort of product on the market and I thought, okay, first of all, we need we need these things to be readily available because I'm sick and tired of everybody playing with Chess X and like, I don't want to knock Chess X. They've, oh, yeah, yeah, they've yeah. been really great for a long time and they're sort of an industry standard for like, oh, I've got a Chess X, man. But vinyl is, it's got limitations and they do get mm-hmm. scuffed up and they get marked and mm-hmm. people buy more and more of them. And vinyl's a plastic and it goes into the environment and it's just, not great. Laminated is okay, but again, it has problems with like creases and folding and mm-hmm. and not laying flat Transport and stuff like him, that. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I just wanted a superior product on the market that everybody could use. Get the price point so that it was a, a, affordable for everybody, so they just have to spend some money once and have a a, a mat which is going to last them for a lifetime that they're going to be able to hand down to their kids. So ethical concerns availability and just i wanted these myself yeah
0: so (laughs) i think (laughs) that's 90 percent of why i make things is i'm just like i want this so that's really cool but uh, i so i threw the link in it's also in the description it's going to be in the um the podcast uh notes and it's i threw it in chat here but you should check it out he's got a podcast or podcast a kickstarter going right now um Mm -hmm. to basically get these Manufactured and going, correct, and then uh, you yeah, can order I've, them. Yeah, I've all. already
1: spent the money on the molds and stuff like that. So the um, all of the products that I've shown you are ready to go into production right now. That's so cool. essentially, what my goal is is the minimum order quantity at the factory determines what how much that is. Mm-hmm. So the the Kickstarter goal is very realistically exactly how much it costs to get two thousand of these sheets printed and manufactured and sent out to people okay so it's like that's a container that is filling up with the orders sort of thing Mm -hmm. it's not it's not like i'm using the kickstarter funds to to create these products from scratch they're ready to go so that's kind of the the difference there i'm not setting i'm not lowballing a um a, a kickstarter funding goal um artificially and, and then hoping I get enough orders to, to fill the thing because that would be financial suicide for somebody mm-hmm. to do and a, kind of a dodgy process. Uh, but yeah, the, 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 the Kickstarter goal is the reality of exactly how yeah. much needs to be ordered in order for it to get into everybody's hands. Um, yeah, the shipping costs the world is quite different now than it was a few years ago. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of uncertainty in shipping. I mean, the Suez canal thing, and there's a lot of stuff which like inflation and stuff is going to be rolling down and hitting a lot of people very quickly. So I think the shipping costs are quite realistic. Are they being set. shipped
0: from New Zealand or?
1: No, they're being shipped from the factory in China to oh, okay. save on all the handling and stuff. Right. And that's, that's part of the process as well as I wanted to reduce any possible loss of information or and like it's, the more hands information goes through the more the less secure it is so mm. i wanted it all sort of done from one place and yeah it's yeah. just cheaper that way
0: um and less you... carbon
1: footprint going on a container ship
0: yeah and i love that uh just environmentally friendly is awesome um do you you must mostly play at the table or i guess i mean zoom calls and stuff that's been pretty recent for rpgs so you, you grew up playing um and then this is probably all coming from just a necessity of like playing with lots of other battle maps and paper that tears and things like that. Um yeah. is this the mat to end all like I'll never have to buy another one? Is that kind of an idea? Mm-hmm. Like Um, okay.
1: To be honest, I think cool. that the technology that's gonna lead us into the future is things like um uh, holographic glasses that we put on and oh. we're playing on a, a table surface. So these these tilt um tilts system which is coming out from a, they've just run a Kickstarter yeah. yeah I think that like making a silicon mat out of that game surface that they have that would be the end all gaming surface ever um, until we're actually fully v- immersed in a virtual environment where we're walking around like the
0: matrix no we plug already are in. I'm pretty sure plug me in so. yeah <laughs>
1: we just
0: You're don't know it reason. Yeah. So. yeah, yeah. Welcome, welcome to Conspiracy Theory Radio, Jordan. If, if this is
1: all a video game, I feel like I'm doing pretty well.
0: Oh, good job. I mean, yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah well, if <laughs> this is a
2: video game, can I ask the developers to make it more D&D and less just kind of modern world, though? I'm done with modern. I'm ready for something crazy. <laughs> yeah. Give me Star be, Wars or D&D. Give me one of them.
1: <laughs> yeah. Oh, we might be getting another D&D movie at some point.
2: That is true possible believe it when I see it, you know. there are but actors cast for it there's a script being passed around for sure i have my hopes up that's for sure
1: uh yeah but if this is a video game i feel like i'm uh, an npc who's got a last name so that's that's pretty good i've started out okay there <laughs> yeah
0: It's <that's pretty> <laughs> <laughs> gonna be my that's gonna be my goal in life it's just like no no i i feel like i'm an npc that has a last name or something yeah or i'll put it on my grave you know, he my, died how he yeah. lived an npc with a last name <laughs>
1: You know you've made it when you've got a health bar.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, a, yeah. You're not boss. just one I'm person. You're not a minion. <laughs> yeah. That's too funny. Uh, and we'll obviously plug your, your Kickstarter again, but yeah, go check it out 100%. Um, I'm curious, uh, with Van Richten's guide coming out, uh, did you play Ravenloft? Or are you a big Ravenloft fan, and are you excited about that book?
2: <sighs> no. Sounds like a great
1: story <laughs> here. No, no, I, I've never really... Um, like I say, I've, I've played Call of Cthulhu and various other horror-esque games, but uh. I've never actually played a Ravenloft game. Ooh. And so it's that lack of firsthand experience of it that doesn't really give me that depth of uh, excitement or passion for it. Mm-hmm. I do like it, and I acknowledge that everybody really enjoys it. I can see why. But um, yeah, I just haven't, I haven't had the yeah, luxury had. Of that. i bounced
2: off it myself quite a bit, but I know a lot of people just love it. I am yeah. excited that this one's talking about third, you know, more domains of dread, and the idea of fleshing those out maybe a little bit more than we've ever had them before. So for, I'm sure for the the lore people, that's awesome when they're going to start fleshing out some stuff that's been kind of just single sentence stuff. Um, but yeah, like I bounced off the whole Ravenloft thing, but I know there's a big yeah. community out there that loves it.
1: <laughs> Part of it is like it's a horror version of the Feywild in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, and let oh, me yeah. explain that. Yeah, <laughs> I can see that
0: now. Yeah, I was like, wait a minute. That makes sense. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, because you've got these individual worlds, which are tailored around the the, the sort of the Fey Lord. Yeah, the power of entity of right that
0: area. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So it's like they're building a shadow Fey world in a way. Hmm. Um, like imagine if all of the different barriers between the domains of dread dropped. And they suddenly interacted, and the, the the dark powers who put it all together went to <laughs> play. Yeah, you
2: have fae and you have Shadowfell at that point. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, so, yeah, yeah. <laughs>
1: and um, I like the idea that uh, the Shadowfell and the fae Wild are much more nebulous and less defined um, mm. as as parallel real- realities go. Like, for instance, I was talking to somebody and said, "What, what if the fae world wasn't a place?" It was all these different locations which are attuned to the World. They become temporarily the Wild. So when you're walking around the World, you're walking from one location on the Prime Material Plane to another location thousands of miles separate. That just happens to have moonlight and all these nature forces creating this harmony that makes this homogenous fairy tale thing. So the Fey lords and ladies are actually walking around a dreamscape that's not really uh, a place at all. It's just this mood.
0: Yeah. So I've been working mood, on it. Yeah. <laughs> that's cool.
1: You're were, you were like you were like fully immersed there, Jordan, for a second. No, right? I. So I've been
0: working on this <laughs> on a campaign setting of my own because I I've never made a campaign setting my own. So for the month of December last year, I I worked on it, and I've been becoming obsessed with uh, frequency and just vibrations. And so the way you were describing that, I was like, no, like this this pond and lake. Uh, because this dreamscape fae lord you know will walk into it the vibrational frequency of that area just shifts a little bit and now it's part of the Feywild. wild yeah. but it hasn't really left the prime material plane but if you walk into there you're now in the fae wild because you're you're becoming attuned to that frequency um yep. and so i was like no that just kind of fits my world a lot more too like i like mm-hmm. that idea
1: The other thing, too, is, um, and a lot of people ignore this, is that when you leave the Feywild, you forget that you were in the Feywild. What happened in the Feywild? Like you were in a dream state. And so when you wake up from your dream, you forget that it ever happened. If the Feywild is this blending of reality and this dream, and when the Feylords move through the Feywild, they're really moving through the Primaterial Plane, how often do they move past a place in the real world and everybody forgets that they were there? it's like
2: do you (laughs) see the tree do you hear the tree fall in the woods if you don't you're not there. (laughs) yeah does it really fall yeah now you're metaphysical
1: (laughs) yeah so what if a village is sleeping and it becomes part of the Feywild suddenly and there's fairies and stuff that are you know playing around and prancing and they just move on and then everybody wakes up in the morning wondering why their shoelaces are tied in knots and you know their house is clean suddenly and
0: did either of you ever read uh the Sandman comic by Neil Gaiman
2: heard of it have not read it.
0: okay yeah there's uh an, er, one of the earlier comics and and aj maybe you'll remember there's a there's a whole comic about a guy who is in a city and he's dreaming but he doesn't know how he got into this city and he's the only one there and he's running around and then it turns out that it's the city itself that's actually sleeping and he realizes this and he and he's so scared and they're like why are you so scared he's like what if it wakes up and I always, uh, anyway, the way you were talking, I was just thinking that, like, yeah. that would be, it's just kind of cool. Like the, the city or a, a village, an entity like that could be sleeping, but it's not really a thing or a, I don't know, but I mm. love stuff like that.
1: I love the idea of you're moving through the World and every now and then you look off in the distance and you see some recognizable landmark of the real world, but it's, that should be hundreds of miles from where you are. Yeah. And this mm-hmm. idea that as you walk through the World, you're walking this green path and stepping from world to world. Yeah. And don't even realize it so you could end up anywhere when you come back out of it yeah that's super the, fun
0: oh uh, i want yeah, there to be a i want them to make this is what book. i want wizards of the coast to make mm-hmm. and we've talked about it before but i want a feywild shadowfell book um with stuff like this and so to keep it you know abstract but also to give you i don't know like a uh an oberon and a titania and stuff to actually have yeah. the lord and ladies of the feywild etc cetera, etc cetera. Yeah. Kobold Press is giving us a pretty good um, Kobold has done an excellent job, yeah.
1: Yeah, they've got some great Fey Lords and stuff in there. Um, and they've got a lot of options for you to to use in your campaign. That, and those Tome kind of
0: Beasts, of, those are like some of the best books, I think. Yeah. I, I, I'm i not putting anything bad about Monster Manuals and Volo's Guide and all that other stuff, but like I find myself flipping through uh, Creature Codex and Tome of Beasts 1 and 2 a lot more. Like I just love it those. It feels like yeah.
1: those are our fiend folios. For you, I guess,
0: yeah, in a way, you're right. Like that's yeah, that that has really changed the game for me. I guess when I'm playing yeah. through D and um,
1: I've got some more recent ones from different publishers. And as soon as it goes onto my bookshelf, it disappears. Uh, here it is. <laughs> um, oh yeah, here's a RPG which um, you're talking about. What different games do I play? Here's GURPS Discworld.
2: Yeah, Discworld. That's fun. Love it. Yeah, fantastic.
1: So this is the Total Party Kill Bestiary Volume One which was, uh, this is from 2C Gaming. And I love the layout of this book um, where it's got, I just happened to open it onto Demon Seeds. (laughs) It it didn't fall open there, folks, I swear. Um, So it's got plot hooks. It's got treasure available. It's got a few of the different uh, monsters in that category. It's got lore. It's got tactics. um, And it's got some in-world character Mm. notes. And it's got ecology and this really interesting art art style, which is like oh how would you describe this? Pencil anime. <laughs> um and it's got ecology. And I stuff. love it.
0: Yeah, 2C Gaming, they're they're making the or they're producing the Venture Maidens campaign setting book, I think. Uh that's coming yeah. out soon. Um and they I have I actually haven't checked out a lot of their stuff but since i found out that celeste was working for them i was like oh i should look at your catalog they've got quite a bit of also interesting did Grant stuff
2: Ellis's grim world he was doing the oh, like yeah. a fairy tale world for 5e also that uh there was mm-hmm. kickstarter backed it my book should be coming pretty soon but 2c gaming has really done some cool stuff reaching out to creators and building mm-hmm. cool 5e stuff that's out there so there's a plethora mm-hmm. of information for anybody that's getting into into the thing what about your first i we we never asked about the first time you dungeon mastered your own game the first time you ran it what was the experience there was what was the prep for it did you use a module did you use your own homebrew did you freak out were you were you fine what was that experience
1: um it it must have been very like homogenous and just sort of. I don't really have a defined memory of the first time I ran a game. Unfortunately, it was just such a long time ago. Yeah. Um, but I do remember that we did a lot of homebrew, um, and mm-hmm. and things were teenage teenage boy games <laughs> are are violent and they usually end <laughs> yes. uh, abruptly. And we just move on. Like Murder making hopes. new characters and stuff. Like back in the day, making new characters was a hobby. So losing characters was like, ah, throw it into the retired pile. And you would go back years later and go, oh, look, Super Bunny. The, <laughs> the guy with the superpowers and all the gadgets were um, were designed around like carrots. So this is a carrot bazooka. And all the carrot bazooka ammunition did different things. It's That was the, the focus of it. What happened to Super Bunny and story and stuff was just secondary to Don't making the- Yeah. <laughs> So, do you think
2: it was D and D was the first game you ran, or do you think it was a different system?
1: No, I think um, Palladium was the first system that I actually ran because other people, yeah, because other people ran uh, Dungeons and Dragons on a regular, so there just wasn't a slot available for me to to run a game. in. Um, but but Heroes Unlimited was my baby, so mm-hmm. I got to introduce them to it. Um, so yeah, that was that was what we did. Very so cool.
2: and what yeah. about now? What about currently? you Run games now or just play?
1: um i'm always i I like being the dm um Mm. and i like running short and fast and punchy campaigns which go all over the place um so i I throw a lot of adventure leads and just let the players choose where they want to go and then that ties back into the story that i want to tell um so it's like you're on a you're in a sandbox but you've got a little baby leash attached to you so every now and then <laughs> i'll move the sandbox under you and make it feel like you chose to be there all along you know so Very it's cool. like well this set piece thing just happens even though you're miles away from where you're supposed to be um yeah uh, case in point is running old um, adventures like i had a friend who said oh, i've never run any of the classic adventure modules could you run some of those for us and i was like okay so i started off and with Haunted ha- <laughs> yeah <laughs> Started off with haunted halls of Evening Star and running a old school campaign with modern players, they just they needed a reason to kick the door down and go into the dungeon. Back in the day, I realized we didn't need a reason. Didn't need if that. there was a dungeon <laughs> there, we just go. It was just expected. Yeah. So yeah. there's a lot of a uh, lot of development and um and personal investment in characters these days, which I think is a little bit absent in in. Yeah.
0: It was more of a, Wait, we used to a video game, almost, in a way. I was going to say, it was
2: more uh, a tactical, gruel uh, game. Yeah, than,
0: you know, well, story. not I, not even tactical, but I think, like, like in a video game, what Mario doesn't need a reason to go right. You just, you go right, because that's the way you go, kind of a thing. <laughs> and I think uh, uh, older D&D was kind of like that, too, but you still had that connection to your wizard or your elf or whoever you were playing, because you went on that adventure with them. Um, but, you know, with... With the rise of uh, Critical Role and other things and, and people being able to watch. Uh, when I was playing D&D before Critical Role and stuff, it was very much like we just kind of, oh, yeah, I'll go over there. I'll do this. I'll do that, you know. And then mm-hmm. I met a bunch of people that played D&D because of Critical Role and every game with them they're very like okay i got to get my voice for this character and i got it and but that's that's the enjoyment of the game for them is they love coming up with these little things and yeah. it's it's so interesting to me that we have two different ways of play that's it's basically the same game but like we you know yeah. yeah and so
1: that's what I was, that's what i was um, alluding to before is it's it's not wrong it's mm-hmm. just different so there's nothing wrong with playing a theatrical game on a on a stage in front of an audience. Mm-hmm. That's highly enjoyable. I've gone to go to uh, Pax and watched um, the guys play uh, Call of Cthulhu, and I mm-hmm. thoroughly enjoyed that as a theatrical experience and the interactivity of it and knowing that it's it's a game system I'm familiar with, so I know what's going on and what's sort of headed in their direction. And uh, yeah but that's different from sitting around a table and playing call of cthulhu with your friends and neither one of them is is the right way to play they're both mm-hmm. correct for whoever and however we're playing it so yeah a lot of the old arguments of the you know the the stereotypical neckbeard going you can't do that <laughs> well it's it's yeah it's very diverse now but the hobby yeah
0: <laughs> yeah i i also love the old modules and i keep picking up like 5e versions of them Uh, and I'll run to my friends and I I do have a group of friends that get really excited about them. Like, Oh yeah, are we going to die in this one? But then I have, I, I have one player who. I really wanted to run Tomb of Horrors for them. And they're just like, well, I'm not taking this guy because I don't want him to die. And like, and we know like we he's very, he, he, and and he just like, he knows the rumors around it. And he's like, well, I'll go in with this other thing then. And I'm like, oh, well, then you can't keep the treasure if you find any in there. And he's just like, oh my gosh, like, what do I do? as <laughs> the like serious problems here. Uh, yeah, he just
2: re-ran uh, Lost Temple of Theriz Doom, yeah. which is a good one from Greyhawk, but makes... Comes into Forgotten Realm. There's Doom gets in Fa- Forgotten Realm somehow at some point too, I believe. And yeah. that was fun to look back at how a Gary Gygax adventure was built. And like you said, it's very different playing it with a modern audience now because yeah. it's it's mm. written in the way that they played the game then, and now your your players are just totally different.
1: <laughs> yeah, That's yeah. Really cool. Oh, you can you can play D anD D as separate realms and separate entities. So things that happen in Greyhawk don't correlate with other settings and things that's and completely separate. That's fine. That's one way of playing it. Or something that I've done over the time with my lore videos is create a cohesive picture of the Spelljammer universe mm, and the Planescape universe exist. is all, yeah. all one um, cohesive thing and trying to make sense of the cosmology that way. And it's proven to be popular but it's just one way of looking at it all. So that, that's that's not the be all and end all. You know, that's just my take on Dungeons and
2: Dragons. Do we get a spelljammer book, AJ? What do you think? I think
1: Yeah, we got three books coming. What what's gonna happen? <laughs> I think we already have the rudimentary stuff that you need to run a spelljammer campaign. Sure. Like with what we have right now, you've got the tools at your at your mm-hmm. fingertips. And we've got the GIF in uh one source book and we've got GIF Yankee in another and we've got mm-hmm. this and that. So it's it's they're laying the breadcrumbs and and seeing if we're really interested. Uh, But I think we haven't seen the hype for it yet. Um, So once we start seeing the hype for it, it'll be on the cards. And in the meantime, it's just (laughs) the more we talk about it and 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 create this mythical idea of it's coming, it's coming. Um, I, I, I feel like they're sitting in the corner going.
0: <laughs> All right. You heard it here first. Uh, AJ <laughs> confirms Spelljammer's coming 2021. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Mr. Um, AJ Pickett, you ask, thank you. Oh, go ahead. One more thing.
1: You <laughs> haven't asked me the, the important question of, is is there going to be a sixth edition and what will it be?
0: Is there going to be a sixth edition? What will it be, AJ Pickett?
1: I think if they start creating a Dominaria source book, that would be our setting for the sixth edition.
0: Interesting. What is that? Dominaria?
1: Magic: The Gathering. Oh,
0: Magic: The Gathering. Okay. Bring the
1: two yeah. IPs together.
0: Yep. No. Uh, yeah. And, and they they want to do that because it bridges fan bases between their two most lucrative Huge IPs. So right. <laughs> that might not At the moment, out, right? they've
1: got two separate law departments, mm-hmm. and imagine if it was just
0: one. Yeah. Yeah. I'm excited for the – I don't play Magic the Gathering, but I'm excited for the Forgotten Realms Magic the Gathering cards that are coming this summer. I think
2: 6th edition is the edition they call the no edition because they try to do that whole thing that a product does where they say, we get rid of editions, and now it's this. That one goes through, and then it'll be 7th edition where it goes back to – okay we're going back to edition because every product yeah. always goes back to an edition after they try the no edition thing. So I think six will be that one. That's my, that's my theory. <laughs>
1: I like, we're, we're already talking about seventh edition.
2: Yeah. Yeah. it's crazy. Hey, they make products. I got to make that money.
1: <laughs> we'll be in our retirement home.
2: Well, eighth, eighth edition is coming.
1: It's an implant. It's an implant that I put at the back of my, my life suspension.
0: A cartridge. Here. Legit though. Yeah. I'm really excited for, uh, my retirement plan of, uh, living in a, a retirement community or something because i'm going to be Those that 80 D&D year old players. that's playing D yeah. all day every day with my friends yeah it's gonna be great
1: ninth edition is basically just our yeah, brains and
0: tanks and we're in dungeons and yeah Dragons. Yeah. yeah i okay. mean it makes sense you gotta get the and then slide, you don't roll George. dice everyone has different like brain cooling liquids and they're like oh you got the sparkle <laughs> one you're like yeah it's pretty cool uh aj thank you we so much for joining players. us Really excited to have you here. This was fun. Uh, Go check out his Kickstarter. Um, These silicone battle maps and stuff like that. They're really, really exciting. I'm going to Uh, order mine right after this. Do it 100%. Tweet about it. uh, All those things. Check out AJ on YouTube if you haven't. And he's got a huge amount of videos. And they're all really fun and really interesting. Uh, And yeah. Thank you. We will be back. It's made to Yeah, 100%. We will be back next week with another episode of the Saturday Morning DD Show. Uh, goodbye, everybody. Take care. Bye. Our intro and outro music is 8-Bit March by Twin Musicom, licensed under Creative Commons. Check out their website at www.twinmusicom.org.